But I would argue it's at that age that it's most important to continue reading to them at a level above their own decoding skills. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, today we are picking up where we left off last week. We did speaking, which was picking up where we left off the week before where we did listening. So listening, speaking. And so today we're talking about reading. Next week, writing. These are the four language arts that you talk about. So reading seems a little one-off from what we do. Aren't we the Institute for Excellence in Writing? What is this reading? How come we're including reading in what it is we do? Well, there's lots of reasons. One, of course, is the tradition of Mrs. Ingham and the blended Soundsite program that really was the birthplace of the structure and style. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Ingham was Dr. Webster's aunt. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the reading and writing developed together over the years there with the schools and the teachers in Canada. And uh, there have been, from time to time, battles, discussions, debates about the best ways to teach reading. And, of course, Mrs. Ingham used, uh, I think, the best-of-all-worlds approach. Mm-hmm. You know, she had a very solid, you know, phonics-based foundation, mm-hmm. but she brought it to life and made it multisensory, uh, which, of course, we know today... Uh, has all sorts of benefits to children with different kind of learning styles or or approaches or even neurologies, Mm -hmm. as well as the um, engagement level that we see from a motivation point of view. So uh, her reading approach was incredibly effective, and for decades she taught that all over Canada, and uh, it gradually trickled down to a few schools in the States, but uh, really not as much traction, perhaps, as she would have liked. Now, of course, we have taken up the torch with the PAL program, mm-hmm. and we have the PAL reading and the PAL writing, and then our schools division mm-hmm. materials that are uh, a continuation of Mrs. Ingham's approach for the five-day-week classroom. Right. Okay. So that's the learning to read. You can learn to read, which you would have to be able to read in order to write as a foundation for writing. Well, I'm not sure that's entirely true. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's talk about that. But we do see this continuum mm-hmm. of interlaced or interdependent skills. I started a couple of weeks ago talking about how listening is the foundation for speaking. You can't mm-hmm. really speak a word that you haven't heard, that you don't already know. Mm-hmm. Same thing with reading. You can't really read a word that you haven't heard or don't already know. Okay, right. Now, this is less the case as students get older and can start to infer or intuit the meanings of words from, say, an understanding of the roots or context. But in the basic stages, 
you you use your word attack skills, your phonics knowledge, your tool sounds, whatever you want to call them, and you decode a word, and you know that that is the word that you thought it might be because you already knew it and it fits. I think I used the example of the word slay, yes. right? So you try to sound it out. What the heck is a slay? <laughs> right. um, and, and then you, you remember somehow that that E-I-G-H says A, mm-hmm. that's a, a letter combination or what Mrs. Ingham would have called tool sounds or, you know, a phonogram depending on the vocabulary use. Mm-hmm. And you could say, oh, well, that's not sligaha, it's slay, because that E-I-G-H says A. And that works if you have a previous knowledge of what a slay mm-hmm. is. If you don't know what a slay is, then being able to say slay is about as useful as saying sligaha. <laughs> right. So we, we do know that that auditory database for for most all people, obviously mm-hmm. hearing impaired or deaf people, it's a different a different world working in. But for most people, the auditory database of language is what makes decoding easier. And uh, of course, we also uh, saw that there's research. The American Library Association promoted research that shows that children who are read to a lot, uh, or sideline, children who listen to audiobooks. Okay become older children who like reading. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's that whole thing. Now, uh, we've talked about on previous podcasts, of course, the fact that some kids have difficulty with the visual side of mm-hmm. reading. You know, they, right. yeah. they look at the letters and the letters switch positions or flip around, or reverse or spin, or they get very exhausted. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have several podcasts on that uh, question of, you know, in the broad sense, dyslexia Mm -hmm. and how that relates to the acquisition of reading skills. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can refer people back to that one. Right. But uh, what I kind of come to realize is there are, yes, indeed, better and worse ways to try to teach reading. Okay. But you can spend years using the best possible methodology and still fail to get mm-hmm. a kid reading independently or at the level you want them to be reading. Mm-hmm. And you feel just so much frustration. Mm-hmm. As you know, my son Chris didn't read anything, really, till he was 10 years old or so. And he right. didn't read a book until he was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean he wasn't smart. He gobbled up audiobooks mm-hmm. by by the hundreds. So he he was having the experience of putting into his brain you know, good and great literature, only he was kind of reading with his ears mm-hmm. rather than reading with his eyes. So I think we tend to think of the definition of reading fairly narrowly, mm-hmm. right? I mean, blind people read with their fingers right. sometimes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, why can't you read with your ears? Right. And uh, I have often mentioned in the context of talking about him the remarkable phenomenon that he went really from zero to 60 in a very short period of time. Right. Um, he went from reading almost nothing to being able to read 
I think the first book he read entirely all the way through was Bridge to Terabithia, mm-hmm. which is probably what a grade five, seven reading level. Right. Um, and that was just probably in a six-month period of time between starting to decode successfully mm-hmm. and being able to read. Why? Because the database of language was fully formed. Right. And he had all that phonics information in there because we'd been drilling it for years and years <laughs> and years. And it was just that moment where things kind of clicked for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's easy for parents today and teachers, too, to have anxiety about kids who aren't, quote, reading at grade level, um, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when they get, you know, eight, nine, Mm -hmm. ten years old. That can be very Mm -hmm. stressful. Right. And yet, even if they're developmentally not quite ready to read, to have that foundation that you talked about, the phonics and the audiobooks, really helped him. So I want to kind of piggyback on that idea and just ask you, and of course this is, my question is based on your talk, Cultivating Language Arts Preschool Through High School. What are some recommendations you can give to parents and teachers at the various grade levels, preschool, primary elementary, middle school, high school, to develop these reading skills, whether or not, like those preschoolers, they're probably not developmentally ready to read. Although I know there's at least one person in this room who read at four years old. So Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I meet people all the time who say, you know, I have a four-year-old who, Mm -hmm. you know, reads books by himself. Mm Mm-hmm. I know people who say, I have an eight-year-old who has absolutely no ability to read a book exactly. by himself. Yep. So we we really can't expect that children at a particular age or grade mm-hmm. will, um, just by merit of being that age or grade, yeah. read at a particular, quote, level. Uh, and, and the more we can be free from that, the happier we'll be. But, of course, with uh, preschool-age children, Uh, They love to hear the same books again and again. We talked about the value of repetition, Mm -hmm. uh, not just from building the language database auditorily and gaining understanding and and those syntax patterns, but if they're they're at an age where they're looking at the words as you are reading to them, Mm -hmm. then uh, they're gaining the repetition of seeing those same words in that same sequence hearing it, connecting the visual with the auditory, building the context with the picture. Uh, and so, you know, very, very important to be reading. I would say, I think uh, I have noticed over the years, I tend to like, and I think there's a good neurological reason for for this, but I tend to like books that have the words very clear Mm-hmm. Um, visually discreet, uh, not superimposed over a complex picture. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So some children's books have, you know, big, bold, wild pictures. And then the the text, you really have to work a bit hard to see and read that. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, of course, you can. Mm-hmm. But a child would not. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the better done children's books have the beautiful picture and then the text is separate and discreet and large mm-hmm. so that when they're ready to start looking at those words, they will be able to see them easily. What I love about that, it's almost like accidentally teaching them to notice that words 
those little lines on the page actually transfer into thought, mm-hmm. meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you're not intentionally saying, now, now look here, daughter, here's the word, you know, cat, and it goes with the picture. No, they're seeing, right. just intuiting. Kind yeah. of an environmental thing. And yeah. as you teach them phonics on one side, mm-hmm. there's environmental opportunity for decoding on the other side. And mm-hmm. you remember being young. You, you walk around and you try to read signs. <laughs> You're trying to figure out, mm-hmm, you know, what mm-hmm. what those signs mean. McDonald's. Yeah, and Taco you Bell. figured it out. <laughs> well, those you might not have to figure out. But that reading, just reading to kids and letting them just sit on your lap and mm-hmm. look at the book uh, is so valuable. Right. And uh, it's hard to do that in a school because you can't have, you know, 27 kids sitting on your lap all at the same time. Well, you, you and can, I both taught at the younger grades, where we learned how to read upside down. Right. So you're showing the kids the pictures, but yet you're reading the text. <laughs> yes, yes. I, uh, I think it was in To Kill a Mockingbird that Scout Finch, mm-hmm. the character, had learned to read already and then went to school, and the teacher was kind of appalled that she had already learned this, and mm-hmm. she described just sitting on her father's lap, mm-hmm. you know, watching the words go by as he would read to her and just yep. absorbing it that yep. way. So. Some children do learn to read, it seems, with very little direct mm-hmm. instruction or effort, and others takes a little bit more or a lot more. Right. And I've got kids on both ends of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing is you know, don't have anxiety about when that happens. Now, there are, I think, better and worse ways to do direct instruction of phonics information. So now have we moved into the primary grades? Yeah, I okay. would say so. Yeah, K-1-2. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ingham's uh, idea was to always mix the visual with the auditory and if you can get a manipulative mm-hmm. aspect of that as well. So uh, she would have activities where children would put you know, cards or pieces together to create words so mm-hmm. they could see, aha, uh-huh, you know, this tool sound with this tool sound makes this word. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, a tactile approach. And, of course, uh, a lot of children love the game element, mm-hmm. the activity. Hey, mm-hmm. I did that. You know, I made that. So uh, to the degree that we can recreate in our teaching of phonics kind of something that a child has a natural inclination towards, uh, multi-sensory, tactile, mobility, uh, and, and also the playful Mm-hmm. aspect of yep. it. Maria Montessori materials, um, which you don't see as much at the elementary level as you do at the um, mm-hmm. earlier grades, but they were also, you know, uh, color-coded and playful and like that. On the opposite end of the spectrum of playful would be some things that are just very, very dry. Mm-hmm. And here's the book for you, the mom, the teacher. It gives you the whole Art and Gillingham system and now you make your kid learn this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, some people can bring it to life and do that well. Mm-hmm. Some kids don't need that uh, playful enjoyment aspect, but others do. Um, you may remember uh, Sing, Spell, Read, and Write. Sure. Which uh, I used with all my kids and mm. when I ran a little preschool. I was a little disappointed last time I took at it because, of course, they jazzed up the music. And mm. it wasn't as kind of pure and mm. simple and joyful mm-hmm. uh, as I remember it being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, our PAL program does a good job of yep. the balance between an organized system mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, 
playful activity-based side, it does require, you know, some work by the mom to to organize and present it and stay mm-hmm. consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those who have used it successfully have been very, very pleased. I've yeah. met moms who bought it, you know, 12 years ago and been using it with every kid since. Yep, yep. Okay, so now let's say they're elementary age, and let's just assume now that they're starting to read at a level that's you know, I, I don't even want to say age appropriate because that doesn't yeah, make sense. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But they're moving into the independent state. There we go. Where, yep. if required or invited, uh, mm-hmm. they will read a book mm-hmm. you know, on their own. We we have a great tradition of children's books that are kind of increasingly compli- complex. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a kid finally feels like I'm really growing up when they graduate. Quote to Chapter, chapter books, books yes. yes. <laughs> uh, these books generally um, have fewer pictures. Mm-hmm. Children that age, you know, upper elementary, they still enjoy pictures. Mm-hmm. Helps build contacts, helps stimulate the imagination. But uh, they have to do a lot more uh, reading in between the pictures, mm-hmm. and, and that's good. One way that you can, I think, help children um, get going in a book, so to speak, uh, is read the first few chapters mm-hmm. out loud and then, you know, say, you know, I'm a little busy now. You can read on if you want. Or mm-hmm. actually, the the way I got Chris to read the, the first part of a chapter book, mm-hmm. it was um, uh, part of the Wilder King series, The the Bark of the Bog Owl. Okay. Oh, I love the – it's <laughs> great little series. But uh, I read the first half or so of this book out loud to him and then I had to go on a trip where I'm mm-hmm. gone for four or five days and I, I said, well, don't don't read ahead because, you know, I want to know what happens too. <laughs> but I left it in his room. Yeah, you yeah. Know. <laughs> By the time I came back, he had struggled through several more chapters mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. was very proud of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think if he had to start the book mm. without that momentum of kind of already being in it, knowing who the characters were, right. having, you know, imagined the scenario and could experience it. So that's a good way to... Uh, motivate kids to start reading an interesting book mm-hmm. and then just get too busy and invite them to continue on. You would have to pretend being too busy because most adults I know are not too busy already. Oh, wait, totally <laughs> kidding. So when I when you're, you're talking now, I'm thinking elementary age, it seems like there's three things you want them to do. You want them to read to themselves, silent reading, right? You want them to hear someone read to them, mm-hmm. not forsaking that. You talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And then perhaps they themselves reading out loud maybe to a younger sibling mm-hmm. or just just so that they can hear themselves reading out loud, yeah, right? Wouldn't yeah. you say that a that's— A very, very good idea. We kind of have lost the habit of reading to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's wonderful when, uh, especially in a family, if an older sibling mm-hmm. who, say— Ten and can read decently well, mm-hmm. would read to, you know, a younger sibling or two, mm-hmm. maybe just 15, 20 minutes a, a day and build a momentum there. We had that kind of going in our home uh, and it worked very well until the last two came along because <laughs> um, the boy, you know, at nine or 10 couldn't really read to his little sister who could have read to him. Right. Only, you know, <laughs> yeah. Awkward. But yes, the other thing is I, I think we... We do tend to think that for kids that age, it's better for them to read on their own mm-hmm. than for us to read to them. Mm-hmm. But I would argue it's at that age 
that it's most important to continue reading to them at a level above their own decoding skills. Right. Uh, so they can read, you know, books that are appropriate at whatever, you know, their reading age grade approximation is. And we can read to them uh, good and great books that are something they wouldn't be able to read on their mm -hmm. own. And then as we see words, we can stop, define the word. We mm -hmm. see uh, an illusion or some type of place or person that uh, they may not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. And we can stop, kind of explain or define that, fit it into the context. Get out the map. Yeah, <laughs> get out the map. <laughs> and, and that's called creating comprehension. Right, right? exactly. So uh, we want to continue with that. Mm -hmm. As kids move into, you know, middle and high school, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to encourage them to read the better books. There's a lot of drivel out there. Uh, there's always a new wave of books that are aimed at the, quote, young adult mm -hmm. reader, which really are, I think the word is misappropriated, mm. young adult. It's more like drivel. But it's sometimes fun. It can be titillating. It can motivate kids to read instead of, mm -hmm. you know, play video games or right. do other stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we are seeing universally, even in adults now, a shortened attention span mm. brought out by the, you know, electronically hyper-stimulating environment, you know, that yeah. we live in. So it's really important to find those books that, that will grab the kids, but at the same time, um, try to find older books that may not be quite so shallow mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not quite so immediately gripping, but of greater lasting value. Right. I remember the very first time I read Tale of Two Cities, and I just had to force myself to read this book, get through the first two chapters, because it just seemed like nothing happened. Yes. Until, well, I, I, I couldn't tell you. No. It's been a long time. Well, that that's the case of a book where... Um, if you did try to read that completely on your own, you might easily give up. Yeah. Uh, best thing to do would be read it in a group so you can have a discussion. You get the audio and follow along. Right. Uh, you know, Dickens is thick stuff, and mm -hmm. you don't jump from Percy Jackson to Dickens <laughs> overnight. Right. Right? There's a, there's a developmental process that has to happen. You just said something that I want to just camp here for just a few more minutes, if you don't mind. You said get the book while you're listening to that. Can you talk about that? How would that be helpful? Well, the you know the D Dickens is thick, and sometimes the long sentences mm -hmm. don't flow, and so you kind of read it one way, and it didn't go the way you thought, and so it doesn't make quite sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can hear mm -hmm. a good reader read the book then that guides you through the context of the sentence and the flow into the next sentence. The nuance of the words, the mm -hmm. emphases are uh, enriching to the experience. Mm -hmm. So I, I did recommend that specifically with A Tale of Two Cities oh, you know, to yeah. a couple kids and mm -hmm. say, you know, listen to it. If you want, listen and follow along as well. And yeah. see if that helps. Well, and I, the reason why that I latched on to that is my, one of my boys – uh, read very late, you know, and but I knew he had the intelligence. He could understand this high level of reading and thinking. He just – he had a hard time tracking right. the pages. And so that's what I would do. Here's the audible. Here's the book. 
see what you can do. And eventually he was able to, it's almost like training wheels. Yeah. He was eventually able to move away from the audible and go right into the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially with some of that stuff that's written in language that is more complex mm-hmm. and probably a bit antiquated yep. compared to what we're used to on a daily basis yep. today. Yep. I always suggest, if possible, follow C.S. Lewis's rule mm. about reading. I even try to follow this rule myself, okay. which is read one old book for every new book. Okay. Right. So if you read a, a new, you know, whatever the popular fantasy or of the day, say, okay, that's good. Now let's try to find mm-hmm. a book by someone who's dead. You know, that that'd be the the defining line for me. If if the author is dead, the book is old. Fair enough, right? Fair enough. Um, and then you you kind of have a balance. It's like food, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want a nice balanced diet. Mm-hmm. Some food is maybe a little less, you know, nutritionally like, dense. Yeah, than other food. <laughs> um, easier to eat, mm-hmm. uh, but may be better for you. Mm-hmm. So I think you can build on that analogy and uh, help kids understand. One, uh, one publisher that I think has done a great job of resurrecting old books mm. and making them available is uh, Lamplighter. Yep. Uh, Mark Hamby and mm-hmm. Lamplighter Publications. And they're not all terribly well known because what he's done is gone and found things that were Good, mm-hmm. you know, especially from a character development mm-hmm. point of view, in the public domain, but no longer really in print or readily available. Right, and then edited them up and put them right. in nice versions. So um, that's a, a great place to look. And of course, we've got our timeline of classics. Yes, uh, by Gail Ledbetter, which I think has over a thousand books in it. Listeners can get that as an ebook download or mm-hmm. buy a paper copy. Yep. And I think it's so handy because these days, you know, a lot of people are less likely to know right. well, what shall I read. Right. Um, and if you just go to libraries, they're not necessarily even safe places anymore to wander around and look for a book the way we might, you and I might have when we were young. Right. Or maybe there's no books in those libraries. And and then, you know, the libraries are are kind of in a trend of getting rid of older Mm -hmm. books that aren't used as much and replacing them with the -hmm. popular books that everyone's asking for. Right. Uh, So, you know, building your own kind of home or community library and uh, keeping some of those um, you know, books that are just true classics that you could read again and again and get more out of them. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Hans Brinker and the Silver Skate. Aww, you remember I that do. one. I do, especially because I was a speed skater yeah. in my days. Right, yes. yeah, right. That's right. So, you know, looking in, in Gail's collection of the mm-hmm. timeline of classics, they're organized right. by either set in that time period uh, or written during that time period. Exactly. And then they're labeled elementary, middle, or high right. with the author and just a very right. brief little yeah. uh, bit of information that might be useful. And she also includes in that resource um, some movie ideas. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and some, some audios. Yeah. I, we just have a few minutes left, and I feel we would not serve our audience well if we didn't talk about high school and reading. And I want to specifically ask you your opinion about literature in high school and oftentimes the 
task of doing literary analysis? Well, it's it's obviously something that many people believe is valuable and important because it forces a certain type of thinking mm -hmm. that could be useful in the real world. I don't know that very many people in daily life do that type of technical literary analysis, mm -hmm. but they do analysis, which mm -hmm. is just basically the process of being able to ask the right questions right. and divide things properly and make mm -hmm. comparisons yep. and uh, talk about significance and relevancy and all that. I, as you know, would always hope to err on the side of enjoying the book more than rushing to analyze the book. Right, right. Uh, because I think we can, in some ways, cause kind of a negative feeling about mm -hmm. that book or about literature in mm -hmm. general when we force a analytical type of activity, right. especially if it's like write an essay. Right. Okay. It's like I always joke about book reports. You know, mm -hmm. what's the most significant result of a book report? Don't want to read a book again. That's right. That's <laughs> right. right. And I wonder, you know, I think about how sometimes you recommend units one and two in our writing system. Just do several keyword outlines and choose one to do a unit two on. Choose one to rewrite. Maybe, maybe high school students could be given a list of books and choose one or two to actually do a written literary analysis, and everything else could be just a conversation with their instructor or their teacher. Yeah, and, and conversations are comfortable places mm -hmm. to be, mm -hmm. especially if they're kind of in a bit of a Socratic mode where right. the teacher doesn't necessarily have an objective. We will reach this point of understanding of this. Let's explore this together. And right. Let's find out, does, does this resonate with you? Can you think of other things that this reminds you of? Right. And uh, so it's a much freer, more lively right. type of way to experience literature. But yeah, you know, even as we become adults, I think reading books that other people are reading at the same time and mm -hmm. then getting together and talking about yeah. it. I know my wife is part of this well-read mom group, <laughs> and it's really a bright light, you know, mm -hmm. a bright point in her month to have mm -hmm. a new book and then have the ladies all come over, drink tea, and, and who knows where the discussion will go. Right, right. This month they're reading Little Women. Oh, of course <laughs> they are. And truth be told, my husband and I started listening to that book right now just because the movie's out. And yeah. I don't know if we're going to see the movie or not, but right now I'm enjoying the book and he's not so much. <laughs> I don't know why this is so. <laughs> but I will, I'm just going to give a little plug for our Structure and Style for Students course, SSS. We did include literature suggestions at all the different levels. Level A, some of those books are just picture books. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a little bit longer and deeper. Perhaps those will be read to them yeah, and by some kids parent. will read on their own. Other other right. kids, will, hopefully a teacher or parent will read it to them after they can. Yeah, and we're not giving any specific writing assignments that go with no. the book. We no. just wanted to give them a list of books that they could enjoy while they're writing about some of these other related topics. So I think we found a nice balance there. I hope so. Yeah. So, well, thank you for this conversation about reading. Right. I think it was very helpful. No, writing's next week. Oh, that's <laughs> Okay. See you then. Thanks so much for joining us. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.